Good afternoon. This is Jennifer Everett with Poured Forth Ministries. I want to share uh, some thoughts with you on this subject, listening to the Lord. Are you listening to me? How many times have we used that phrase? The word listen in Hebrew is pronounced Shema, a common word in the Bible, but the meaning of the word goes far beyond what our ears hear. Shema means to really pay attention, to act upon a request, to obey God's commandments. In Hebrew, listening and obeying are two sides of the same coin. In fact, in Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey. In Genesis 29, poor Leah, the unwanted and unloved bride of Jacob, said of the Lord, who gave her a son, The Lord has Shema that I am not loved, meaning he has listened and responded to my need. Leah named that son Simeon, which means derived from the Hebrew verb Shema, meaning to hear. So Shema means to listen and to pay attention and to respond to a request with obedience. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act or to respond. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, the Jewish people have prayed the well-known passage found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. So what he was saying was, Shema, or listen and obey my voice. This beautiful prayer read daily given to them was to remind them to listen or hear and obey him as their one true God. But he attached this also, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, soul, and might to connect the two together. In other words, listening is obeying, and obeying is loving. Obedience demonstrates love. It is really love in action, similar to when he spoke to them at Mount Sinai and said, If you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possessions. What a beautiful promise, a covenant of love, that ask only for obedience, a love covenant that they often fail to keep, unfortunately. That's why the prophets would say they have ears, but they aren't listening. It wasn't that they couldn't hear him, but they weren't obeying, because if they had been listening, they would be acting different. Many of our psalms begin with a call requesting that God listen. Psalms 27 and 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. Aren't we thankful that God listens and responds to our request? What good would it do if he only listened and we had no hope of an answer? But you know, just as we want him to listen and respond to our prayers, he wants you and I to listen and respond as well. 
when we think about listening and attaching, obeying to it, because that's what Shema really means. What are some obstacles that hinder us from listening and obeying the Lord? Perhaps it could be that we're not listening because we have selective hearing. We are hearing only what we want to hear. For example, two men, one a Native American, were walking down a busy, noisy street with loud traffic, honking horns, ringing cell phones, and loud sirens, when all of a sudden the Native American stops and says, Did you hear that? The other man says, Hear what? The Native American says, That cricket. The man laughed, There's no way you could hear a cricket in all this noise. But the Native American walks across the street, picks up a discarded paper cup, and sure enough, there's a cricket inside the cup. The other man says, That's amazing. How did you do that? The Native American said, It's not that difficult. One hears what one wants to hear. He said, Watch this. And he takes out a handful of coins and drops them on the sidewalk. And as soon as they hit the pavement, every person within 35 feet stopped dead in their tracks and turned towards them and looked. See what I mean? He said, we notice what we're listening for. So maybe we fail to hear God's voice because it's not what we're listening for. Maybe we're listening to so many other noises that we fail to hear him. It's amazing that we have no trouble hearing the negative voices of doubt, worry, or fear. Oh, it'll never work out, or I just can't overcome this. We have no trouble hearing those voices loud and clear, or even following them. We are truly blessed, because not only have we witnessed time and time again in our lives, God working and moving where He demonstrates His faithfulness, but we have his word given to us so that we can read from the book of beginnings in Genesis to Revelation of how God demonstrated his faithfulness to humanity when they listened and obeyed him. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, Paul tells us these things happened unto them for examples, written for our instruction to teach us because the end of days are coming. One translation says, as examples to keep us from craving evil things as they did. He was talking about the children of Israel being struck down in the wilderness for their disobedience. So we're quite blessed that we have his word to see what happened when our forefathers listened and obeyed and disobeyed. But we also can see what kind of situations they faced and how they overcame to be obedient and the results. Or what happened when they failed to listen and obey and what their excuses were for not obeying. But do we realize that there were great men and women that were not as fortunate as you and I to have this word to read from and learn from? They strictly depended on being tuned in to God's voice and obeyed by faith. Look at Abraham, a man that believed that God could do anything, lived to be 175 years old. He didn't start this journey with the Lord until he was 75 years old. 
He turned from idolatry. He follows God for the next hundred years. And it took him about 38 years to finally obey the Lord fully without hesitation. Everything he went through was merely a preparation for his greatest test of faith, sacrificing his beloved promised son, Isaac. But think how awesome he is, really, because he didn't have not one page of the Bible. He only had what the Lord told him. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for him not to hesitate when he heard the voice of the Lord tell him to take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him? He had already pulled up stakes and left everything behind. He left his homeland, his father's house, his strictly on God's command to go forth into a strange country that he would show to him. The Apostle Paul explains what this test proved in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. It proved that Abraham truly believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead when asked to sacrifice him. Verses 19 says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. What an amazing story of faith. God rewards Abraham's faith by fulfilling his promise to him that he and his descendants and after him would possess the land, meaning the nation of Israel. But not only did that promise include a blessing for him and his descendants, but that through his obedience, all nations on the earth would be blessed through the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. You and I sitting right here today, hearing this gospel, partakers of the new covenant as are a result of one man's obedience to the voice of God. Abraham's obedience to offer his son as a sacrifice is a foreshadowing of God's willingness to send His only Son, that perfect sinless sacrifice, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I so that we could live in eternity with Him in heaven. He paid the death penalty for you and I. What do we learn from Abraham? We learn that listening, Shema, means giving up everything dear to you and giving it to God when required. Walking by faith and not by sight. There are always obstacles to overcome when learning to listen to God's voice. Abraham's was sacrificing everything, while many other great men and women had different obstacles to overcome so they could learn to listen. Moses had to learn to overcome his feelings of unqualified to lead the greatest exodus in the history of mankind. He came up with many different excuses when God gave the word for him to tell Pharaoh to let his people leave Egypt. His first excuse to God is, Well, who am I, Lord? Why did you pick me? I'm no leader. I'm just an ex-con, a man who committed a murder back in Egypt. I've been hiding out here for 40 years, taking on a new identity. Just a simple sheep herder now. I love how God responds to Moses' fears of feeling unqualified. Moses asks, who am I? But God never answers his question concerning who Moses is. 
He only says, certainly, certainly, I will be with you. In other words, Moses, I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at your qualifications. You're just a vessel. I'm not looking at you, Moses. I'm looking at myself and my power. I'm not depending on who you are or your qualities, the things that you have or the things that you don't have. It's not about you, Moses, but it's all about who I am. It's all about me, Moses. If you think I'm going to depend on you for a mass exodus, Moses, of thousands of people based on your qualifications, you've got to be joking. He says, you're just getting me, Moses. You're just getting me, Moses. You're getting me and my power. Don't we do that sometimes? We really are convinced that God is depending on our abilities to do what only He can do. We get so focused on the enormity of the obstacle or what He's wanting us to do, and we forget to look at how great and how powerful our God is and that He is in it with us. If He asks us to do something, He will be with us in it to help us get it done. Look how much we accomplish outside of God's realm in just everyday life that we manage to dive right into with no second thoughts about succeeding. We just dive in and we do what we have to do. We have faith in those areas. Why not have faith in the godly realm? Moses' next excuse is, Well, Lord, they just won't believe me. Isn't that just like humanity? Well, I just can't witness. I can't share the gospel because nobody's going to believe me anyway. They don't want the truth. Don't we often say that? We must quit worrying about if they don't believe. And we must do it anyway. We must fulfill that great commission that Jesus gave in his word to go forth and to be his disciples, to share the gospel, the good news. There might be 100 that reject the good news, but there might just be one among those 100 that accept and receive salvation. Jesus said he left the 99 for the one that was lost, the one little sheep. So I guess we can witness to 100 to get the one too. Quit worrying about rejection. Even Jesus was rejected. He was rejected by his own and killed. Nobody has tried to kill us yet for the truth. So we just have to keep on keeping on and doing what God called us to do. Poor Moses, his next excuse is his speech. He says, I am a man of slow speech. I'm not eloquent. Maybe he stuttered, who knows. But you know what the Bible says? He was a prince back in Egypt. He served among royalty and had royal duties that I'm quite sure required eloquent speaking. 
but Moses never let his speech interfere with his royal Egyptian duties. Isn't that amazing? Moses had good skills for the world, but lacked when God called him. Kind of reminds us of some people who sit like a statue in church, never open their mouths, never raise their hands to worship. They say, oh, I'm just not emotional. But they can go to the games and scream and holler, cheering for the world, acting like they just won the million-dollar lottery. Don't tell me you're not emotional. You're just cheering for the wrong thing, just listening to the wrong voices. Selective hearing, they call it. Poor Moses, if he would have kept on with his excuses, he would have talked himself out of becoming written in the Word of God as one of the greatest prophets in the Bible who led the largest exodus in history. We'd be reading about another man right now because God would have just moved right on and found another man to do the job. And his legacy would be read. The baby boy saved by God's hands, raised in Egypt, became a prince, killed a man, injured up a fugitive herder in the desert. End of story. Do we realize that we are all writing our story right now? but a story for others as well to read. That my story of obedience to God affects other stories as well. My willingness to follow and obey God's voice will affect my children and the future generations of others. How we respond to God's voice not only affects our salvation, but there are our children and our cities that will be affected What if the apostles in the first church had not responded and suffered much persecution to persevere the scriptures and the truth? We would not have what we have today. What if not for Calvary and the blood of Jesus? There's always great cost in listening, but we must listen and respond. We have a responsibility as God's ambassadors to spread the gospel to our future generations. We can't have the selfish mindset of just my four and no more. That's not the mind of Christ. He wants all of humanity saved. You know what he meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself? It goes really beyond what we often think. It means reach for them. Don't allow them to be lost. Pull them out of the fire. Pray for them. Live a life before them. Witness to them. This is loving your neighbor as yourself. Our children and our grandchildren and the world is at stake. Do you remember when I told you about God often uses a woman when he gets ready to shift things in the spiritual realm? And a lot of the time he uses barren women. Sarah was barren. Rebecca, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, and many more bore great men that God used to reconcile his people to himself. There was one of these little barren women whose name was Hannah. She was barren for many years, and she travailed many years for a child of God, and God heard her. He Shema heard her and obeyed her voice. He gave her a son, 
who would be the only prophet without a single flaw in his ministry. He would have never existed had not his mother travailed in prayer for him. But little did she know at the time her son would be the very child who would replace Eli, who thought she was drunk that day in the temple. God was actually looking for a vessel at that time to fulfill Eli's priestly role because God's people were in a time of great spiritual darkness. During a time, the Bible says, when the Lord of the Lord, when the word of the Lord was precious, meaning it was rare, people had become so evil they had quit listening. Shema to God. So he rarely spoke. You know, God will do that if we keep ignoring his voice. He'll quit speaking. The Bible says there was no vision during that time either. No vision according to scripture, meaning where there's no vision, the people will perish. We must be obedient to God's voice or there'll be no direction in our lives or our churches. There'll be nothing for our future generations. Eli was one of the ones that refused to listen and obey the voice of the Lord. God had previously warned him concerning his son's evil deeds at the temple. They were violating the way the Lord instructed them concerning the burnt offerings, taking more than they were supposed to, and committing sexual sins with the women in the congregation. So the Lord finally gets enough, and Hannah becomes that willing vessel. Remember, it's not about gender. It's about godliness and willingness to serve. He raises her up, raises Samuel, the prophet, up to shift things spiritually for his people to bring them back to where they need to be. Eli started out well, but because he was negligent with the sacred things of God that God entrusted him with, he gives a little boy, Samuel, a prophetic word of doom to Eli, who he is serving under at the temple. And it's not a good word. He says, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both the ears shall tingle. In other words, everyone is going to hear and listen this time, Samuel. He tells Eli, judgment is coming to his house because his sons made themselves vile, and he refused to restrain them. They have gone beyond God's mercy so much that their burnt offerings will no longer be accepted because they refuse to turn from their sin. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Long story in the end, the children of Israel attempt to go into battle against the Philistines and are defeated. Then they come up with plan B. They say, hey, Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go get the presence of God that's sitting between Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. Let's go use God's presence to attempt to win the battle against the enemy. So they go get the Ark, and when it gets into the camp, all the children of Israel go to hollering and carrying on thinking, Oh, now we're really going to defeat the enemy because we've got the Ark. We've got these guys. We've got the presence of God. And he's fixing to slaughter these Philistines. So the Philistines are over in their little area and they begin to hear all the commotion going on. And they say, what's that noise? 
They then realize the ark has came into the camp, and they know the history of it, and how many times in the past, whenever the ark came into battle, God always gave the victory. So they begin to become afraid and almost abandon the mission. But one guy says, hey, be quiet, be quiet. Pull up your bootstraps and fight like men. Don't be afraid. So they engage the children of Israel and they slaughter them. They defeat them. Eli's sons are both killed. The ark is stolen. And when they come and give Eli the word of his sons and the ark, he literally falls off his stool and breaks his neck and dies. At the same time, Phineas' wife is in labor giving birth. And when she hears of her husband's death and the ark has been taken, she goes into heavy travail, has the child and names it Ichabod, meaning the glory is departed from Israel. What could have been a victory that day ended up with many deaths and further spiritual decline. The children of Israel tried to manipulate God's presence to win the victory, but because of disobedience, the ark was just a mere golden box for them during the battle. God taught them a valuable lesson that day, that He requires obedience for victory. There will be no presence of God upon their lives as long as they refuse to Shema. Had Eli only listened and obeyed and corrected his sons, many lives could have been spared, possibly his own family. His story and theirs could not have been written differently, could have been written differently. Not much of a legacy to leave for Ichabod. Left an orphan with no mother, father, or grandfather, and a name that testified of what brought about his family's demise, the day the glory departed. What are we writing right now, ladies? Are we doing all that we can when it comes to listening to the voice of of the Lord and following it for ourselves and our families? Someone is depending on me. Someone is depending on you to write their story. As ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to our families and to our world to listen and to follow God's leading, to be faithful in prayer and reaching out to others, sharing the gospel with them. I want to encourage you today. Let the Lord use you as vessels during these final hours on earth. Don't lose focus listening to all the noise and the chaos of the world and fail to be tuned in to the voice of the Lord when He nudges you to do or to go where He needs you to go. Be sensitive and willing. Don't be intimidated by your feelings of inadequacy or any obstacles that you may encounter on your journey with the Lord. Don't look at the obstacles, but how great and how powerful our God is. He is a mighty God, and He will equip us for the task ahead. 
He will equip us for such a time as this because God has called us. He has commissioned us to spread the gospel for his kingdom. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.